KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio In Depth. I'm Carol McKenzie. Shipments of Pfizer's COVID vaccine are expected to start arriving in American cities early next week. This marks the beginning of a massive effort to vaccinate as many people as possible to help bring this nightmare to an end. I wondered what it was like to be one of the people in charge of managing the logistics of such a large-scale operation. Philadelphia was one of the cities that helped the CDC come up with a distribution plan. And so I reached out to the city's deputy health commissioner, Dr. Caroline Johnson. I knew she had a tough job, but boy, I really had no idea just how tough. You know, when I think about this logistically, you know, I can't imagine what an undertaking this must be for you. So I want to start out with that. Philadelphia was in the CDC's pilot program for distribution, and you were chosen to help other cities in the program develop their plans. So can we start off with that? What guidance did you give to other cities? So really with the pilot program, the Centers for Disease Control actually asked us lots of questions about planning. And and what this pilot program turned into was us advising them on all of the issues that were going to arise during vaccine distribution. We were pretty far along in our planning process, and we had recognized a lot of the issues that were going to come up with releasing and and handling the vaccine and who all the partners were going to be. So in a lot of ways, we weren't so much advising other jurisdictions as we were advising the CDC where all of the pitfalls were going to be. And then I think what happened from that point was the CDC incorporated our concerns and issues into their guidance document, which then told all the other jurisdictions, listen, you need to um, plan for this eventuality. You need to plan for this. So that's kind of how that pilot project rolled out. Because you're rolling out, this is, we've never done this before, Uh, you know, vaccinating so many people so quickly during a pandemic. That's correct. We had some experience with this back in 2009 with uh, the H1N1 or swine flu, it was known initially. That was also a vaccine that was federalized. It was something where the supplies were initially controlled by the federal government and distributed through the local health departments for use. So we we did have um, some experience with doing this before. Um, what's different this time is the time frame, the fact that it's now all really rushed to get in as many vaccinations as quickly as possible. The scope is now it's Everyone in Philadelphia will need a vaccine um, as soon as we can get the supplies to get it to them. Um, And I think in the background of the pandemic, this makes it even more important because of all of the uh, the social distancing and the and the economic consequences that the that the social distancing and the closures have caused for the city. So, you know, this vaccine program uh, is just a heightened uh, version of what we did in 2009, you know, bigger volume, more expedited and, and more consequences other than just health. And you said one of the things you had to identify, you had to go through and, and kind of figure out what the pitfalls could be. What, what, what were those? What were your what are your biggest concerns? Right now, the biggest concerns have to do with the amount of vaccine that we're receiving 
and the handling. So the first vaccine we're receiving is the one that requires the ultra-cold storage. And the number of doses is really quite small. So most of our issues right now have to do with making sure we're handling the vaccine correctly and allocating it in what we think is a rational and fair way across the city. And I, and I think that we've, you know, we really have a plan and we're really implementing it because we expect vaccine in the city next week sometime. And we're moving ahead in, in that direction. But those, those are really the big issues early on. Do you have any idea at this point how many doses you are going to be getting? We don't have any idea how many we're going to be getting beyond the first week. The first week, we know that we're, get, we're not getting more than 15,000 doses. So it's a very small allotment in week one. And that is all that we've been told. There have been numbers thrown about in newspapers and mentioned on press conferences about the total number going nationally. But that all has to be carved up in between the different jurisdictions and the different partners who get vaccine. So all we know is our week one allocation. Now, I'm very confident we're going to continue to get vaccine every week. Um, So I'm not saying that, oh, this is it. I'm just saying we don't know the number. We're kind of planning for all eventualities right now. Which has got which was my next question. How do you do that? How do you plan to implement such a huge uh, program mm-hmm. when you don't even know the the basics of, of how many you're going to be getting every week uh, out from the first week? Mm-hmm. What we're doing basically is creating a timeline, but without the time component. I know that sounds silly, but we have a good idea of where vaccine needs to go first and then second, and then third, and then fourth. We just don't know what time points those phases will occur. So what we're doing is working with those providers that will be getting some of the earliest vaccine that comes in. And then as we get increasing amounts of vaccine, we move on to the next group of providers. So for example, right now, our priority work has been with the hospitals. We know that the uh, healthcare providers in hospitals have been hit very hard with this infection, and they also expose many vulnerable people. You know, we've really, really worked with them to get the vaccine into their hands uh, first. And when I say healthcare worker, that's a very uh, encompassing concept because we're not just talking about physicians and nurses, we're talking about people who work in food distribution and security and environmental uh, cleaning. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a broad definition of healthcare worker. We want to make sure that they're all protected quickly. So our primary focus has been with that group right now. How many are we talking about? How many healthcare workers in the city do you have to vaccinate? The estimate of the number of healthcare workers in the city is around 70,000. Um, it could be even a little broader than that, depending on, on how far you want to take this definition of healthcare worker. But it's a huge amount. And clearly, our first rationing of doses does not cover all of them. So, so how do you- uh, this is an ongoing project. This will be going on for weeks and weeks and months and months as we roll this out into different populations. So who is going to get them first, the subset of those healthcare workers? are not imposing any rules or requirements on the hospitals. They know who their highest risk employees are. So they have a very good idea of where their COVID patients are being seen, 
um, who's most exposed. So we have basically told them you're going to be getting vaccine. You create your own priority structure internally. And we're very comfortable that they know exactly how to do that. And for, you know, the vaccine that's given outside of of the hospitals, there will be some vaccinations that are being offered to groups such as um, our our testers. You know, we've built a fairly large COVID testing program across the city, and those people are continually seeing individuals with infections. So we want to bring them in and get them vaccinated in the first pass. Some of the laboratory staff are also at special risk, so we'll be having them come in in the first uh, grouping of vaccinations. That sounds really tough, though. I mean, I I get what you're saying about hospitals get to determine, you know, who Mm -hmm. is at high risk. But you're talking 70,000 healthcare workers, testers, and 15,000 doses in week one. I know you're Mm going to be getting them out, but how do you – it just sounds like such a small amount for such a large number of people, and I'm wondering how you determine – I guess, you know, which hospital gets X amount of doses, uh, which testing site Mm -hmm, gets X mm -hmm. amount of doses? Mm -hmm. Well, we did this as equitably as we could. And I think that is, uh, we had discussions with the hospitals all along, by the way. We've been meeting for um, a number of months with some of our advisory uh, committees and with some of the hospital uh, medical staff about how to do this. And one of the messages that we heard pretty clearly was that it needed to be equitable, that it wasn't going to be fair to send all of the vaccine to one hospital one week and then the next hospital the second week, and that the fair approach was to make sure that everybody got some vaccine and it would be their job to make sure it got uh, administered to people at highest risk in their communities. So our... um, you know, dividing up the vaccine was pretty much based on the number of staff and the number of patient beds that a facility had. There were a few complications in that the vaccine that's coming requires the ultra-cold storage. So we had to divide up the vaccine into lots according to the way it was packaged. So this it becomes rather complicated yeah. how we actually did the dividing up a vaccine. But But I think the principle is that it was equitable that everyone was offered vaccine and that the allocations were based on the size of the staff and the size of the services that they were providing. You know, there have been pressure from other groups, people who are on the front lines, but not medical personnel. So let's talk about people in the food services business, grocery store workers, things like that. Where do they fall? So they have clearly been recognized by our advisory committee and our internal, the internal analysis that we've done. We've recognized that grocery store workers are at high risk of this infection and they serve a critical purpose. And um, they are at risk of passing this on to the, uh, their customers who might be vulnerable. So they are very high on the list of essential workers to get the vaccine. Now, the complicated thing about providing vaccine in the uh, grocery workers and and food um, providers is that there is no central organizing occupational health that serves them. And many of them work in very small shops and and, uh, small grocery stores. So we have to have a way to provide for them. And I believe the strategy that we're going to use is to refer these individuals into 
some urgent care centers, some pharmacies, and some uh, private private clinics that the health department will be operating to get them immunized. We're, we need to sort of build this network of clinics and and vaccination sites geographically across the city, and we need to make sure that they can handle the vaccine. For example, we know that we can't use ultra-cold vaccine in any of these sites because they, it just can't be, it won't be stable there. So we've got some limitations about that. But we've already spoken with all of our partners who will be the actual vaccine administrators, meaning they're going to give the people the shots for us. Um, I imagine we will be communicating with the uh, workers that we want to reach, such as the grocery store clerks, through some of their professional organizations and through their employers and, and hopefully through the media like you, you know, will make announcements that we would like these people to come in to um, get vaccinated. But right now we don't, uh, we don't have enough vaccine to do it. And I don't want to schedule people for appointments when there isn't any vaccine yet. So this will all be happening very fast as we receive or know how much vaccine we will receive. I did just want to um, chime in that while we're having this conversation about cost, because the vaccine is completely free. So there is no charge for this vaccine to either the, the citizen receiving it or to the providers who are getting the vaccine from the health department. And there's no charge to the city. So we're not paying for it. The, the cost of the vaccine is completely federalized. And it is not legal for the providers to pass any administration charges on to the patients. So in other words, if you're going into a pharmacy or you're going into one of the clinics to be vaccinated, it is permissible for that provider to charge an insurance company the administration cost, but there will be no cost that's passed down to the patient. You've already painted a picture for us about the diverse population that you have to deal with when you're vaccinating an urban, a large urban area like this. There's been a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of public distrust. How do you overcome that? Yes, we call it, we've been calling this vaccine hesitancy, people with concerns about the safety of vaccines. And we're aware that this exists. But um, I'd say a few things. We do know historically that the most important way to get people to be vaccinated is for their medical provider to make it as a firm recommendation. So uh, any individual patient is likely to take the vaccine if their doctor or uh, healthcare worker recommends it. So I think our, our best strategy is to make sure all of our healthcare providers are on board with this plan and are starting to recommend this vaccine. That is the most effective strategy is working with them. And we're really lucky in Philadelphia because we have so many fine institutions who do a great job vaccinating people. Historically, we see very high immunization rates in all of our children and in most of our adults. So now I know that we have the community support about offering vaccination. And so we're gonna, we're gonna use them. We're gonna use them to spread the word. And we also know that uh, it's going to be very important for us to have individuals who speak to communities on a personal level. We will end up relying heavily on 
on um, the influencers in the community to advise for getting this vaccine. But we have we have our hands full and a lot of work to do on this front. Yeah, the anti-vaxxers have been very active and very vocal. I would imagine that is a hard kind of message to overcome out there. The other thing you did touch on earlier was the the shelters, uh, the homeless population. So this is a two-shot regimen. How do you deal with that? How do you deal with a homeless population? How do you get them vaccinated? And then how do you make sure and keep track to make sure they're coming back for the second shot? So one of the really good things in Philadelphia is our immunization information system, or basically our vaccine registry. So all of the people who will be giving vaccine have to report into the system to say which vaccine the person got, what date, and when the second dose is due. So we will have a pretty good idea of who has been vaccinated and with what product, so we know what to give them for the second product. I think that the the best strategy to try to assure people get the second dose in a timely way is that they're given an appointment for that second dose when they're vaccinated with dose one. So we're really encouraging everyone to get that second appointment the minute you're vaccinated with dose one. And then I think people will be Uh, have a little more understanding of what the importance of the second dose is. Now, for people who don't get the second dose, we will be able to track that and we will be able to potentially find those individuals and remind them about the need of the second dose. Whether all this can happen in a timely enough fashion, uh, I don't know. But um, we're going to be working, I think, with the homeless providers about assuring that that second dose can get in. Do you have the infrastructure, the people to handle this kind of undertaking, keeping track of so many people and and vaccines? Heck no. (laughs) (laughs) And what I mean by that is, no, there's no way we can do this all ourselves. But we have a big network of partners now. So, you know, we've got hospitals and providers and clinics and pharmacies. So this whole network is being built. It's not going to depend just on us. And clearly, we are not going to be the ones who are administering most of these shots. We will be doing some ourselves in the health department. But we really are going to rely on all these partners. And we're lucky that our immunization registry for tracking all of these doses and ordering the doses and reporting on the doses, that's all been built. That's been in place for years. So we have a very good baseline situation for launching this monumental task of distributing COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, I would say the biggest challenges right now for our staffing level have to do with answering all of the questions. Because we're getting questions from all of the providers about, you know, storage, about distribution, about um, eligibility. And and so there's a huge demand for information. And that's been tough to keep up with, with getting all of this information into the right hands. Distributing the vaccine has also been a bit of a challenge. We will, the vaccine is not going to be distributed by the company, Pfizer, who's making the ultra-cold vaccine, is not going to be shipping directly to all the hospitals. They're going to ship to us, and we have to redistribute. So 
practice of vaccine handling. That is not something we have done very much recently. So that's that's been a challenge. Yeah, I wanted um, to, I wanted to ask you about that because I'm wondering: Are you going to be? Are they literally going to fly into Philly International, and then you guys have to go because they have to be stored at such cold temperatures, ultra cold temperatures? Mm-hmm. So, how does that work, and what does that look like? Yeah, that's very complicated. The the, the ultra cold vaccine can only be shipped in batches of 975 doses. And this has to do with the way it's packaged and it has to do with sort of the, I'll say the shipping containers. So as I understand it, the Pfizer vaccine will be shipped in these these packages of 975 doses um, to certain hospitals in the city who who have the ultra-cold freezers in place, and they will transfer directly from the shipping containers into the ultra-cold freezers. And those vaccines have, you know, at least a six-month shelf life as long as they're in that freezer. So some of the shipping is going directly to those hospitals who have a, a large need and who have these freezers. Now, for the hospital's who either don't have freezers or don't have a large demand, we're taking possession of the vaccine and putting in our ultra-cold freezer. And when I say we, I mean the health department mm-hmm. will take the vaccine. And we will be reallocating or redistributing that vaccine to some of our partners. That's why this is you know becomes complicated, because once you open these packages of 975 doses, you now have a time frame of five days to give those doses. So that's why moving the vaccine around becomes complicated. We only want to remove the number of doses that we think a a hospital or a facility is going to administer. We don't want to waste any doses. So we have to keep very close count on this. And we're going to be pulling doses from our freezer and sending them all over the city for the first few weeks. So I'm just thinking... As you're describing this, my thought is, mm-hmm. how do you keep track of all this? If I had the idea, because uh, national reports had been that uh, they were using some commercial airliners to kind of ship out these vaccines, you know, fly them in. And and so mm-hmm. I just had this, I guess, this idea that it would come in, you know, you would get this big batch of vaccines, it would come in all at once, and you would then distribute it. But you're saying it's just, it's going to be, they're going to be using different methods to to hand it out can't imagine what it's mm-hmm. going to take to keep track of that. Yep. <laughs> so we there is an inventory system that's at the CDC that is supposed to track all of this. Okay. So we should know that we, you know, we approve shipping of X number of doses to, you know, one of the hospitals. We should know that it's been received. Um, and we certainly can inventory all of the vaccine that we're receiving and releasing. Yeah. The other thing that's in place is being able to record administration of the doses of vaccine. Now, this was really important to the CDC and to us to know that the vaccine is actually being given out. The last thing we want is a thousand doses of vaccine being you know, saved in somebody's refrigerator and not being given to anyone because there's so few doses. We wouldn't want that to happen. So the requirement that the CDC has for all of the providers who will be giving out vaccine is to report 
the administration of those doses. So they'll be reporting the name and the date and which vaccine a person got. This gets recorded in the uh, immunization registry, and then the data is transmitted down to the CDC. Now, they don't get name-based data. This is de-identified, but they'll know that X hospital in Philadelphia gave 100 doses of this vaccine today to people in these age groups and things. So, you know, the CDC wants to have a pretty good idea that the vaccine is starting to move. What about keeping track of adverse reactions? I mean, I know, you know, there can be adverse reactions with any vaccine, but I'm my thought is that it's got to be even, I guess, more crucial now because we are looking at emergency authorization. So the time frame is a little truncated. And so I would think that that information is going to be very, very important in just studying the vaccines and how people are reacting to them. There are a couple of answers to this question. First, because it is a new vaccine, we are implementing a a short observation period after someone receives the dose. And that's a 15-minute observation period. That's not because they think there's a problem. That's simply because that's sort of a protocol that you do when you give a new injectable vaccine. Mm -hmm. So we are going to be uh, recommending that to everyone gives vaccine. We will be doing that ourselves with implementing this 15-minute observation period. That's mostly to pick up on any of these urgent or emergent anaphylaxis or allergic events that could occur after administration of the vaccine. Um, There are two major adverse event reporting systems that are going to be in place for this vaccine. The first one is called VAERS, that Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System. That is a federal program for reporting any kind of adverse event from any vaccine. It's been in place for many years. Providers know how to report into it. Probably even bigger and more important for this vaccine is something brand new. It's called V-SAFE, V as in victory, SAFE. The CDC is asking the recipients of vaccine to sign up for this I think it's an application, a I think it's a web-based yeah, application for where they can re- report in if they experience any adverse events. And I think the VSAFE will push out some, you know, queries to them. So we're encouraging everybody to go ahead and enroll in that and, and follow through. It's a brand new system. I don't have any personal experience with how it's used or whether people will actually sign up for it. I think it's a, I think it's a great idea. Mm-hmm. I just can't really tell you what it's going to be, how it's going to be in uh, action. Yeah. And I imagine we will hear directly from providers. Usually, if there is a significant adverse event, we'll get notified right away by whoever gave out the vaccine, and we will do some internal tracking as well. Are you expecting uh, to get the Moderna vaccine as well? Not in the first week, but we are expecting it thereafter. And that will help you kind of plug in these these phase one gaps, the, the gaps that are caused by the 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 storage, uh, the storage requirements for Pfizer's vaccine. That will definitely help with being able to get vaccine into the hands of providers, particularly the smaller ones. 
So the Moderna vaccine is going to ship in batches of 100 doses. I'd mentioned before the Pfizer ships in 975 doses, and so we couldn't send it to small providers. But the Moderna is packaged in a way that we can send out smaller batches of doses that may take them some time to use, but because it doesn't have the ultra-cold refrigeration, that won't pose a problem. Well, Dr. Johnson, thank you for your time, and thank you for all you're doing and just making sure that, uh, you know, we get the vaccine out there and that people can get it and hopefully stay healthy. Yes. I, I think the vaccine is ultimately the key to ending this pandemic. I mean, I, I do want to also state that being vaccinated is not going to obviate the need for wearing masks and social distancing until we have this infection under control. But it's going to go a long way to getting this pandemic over with. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In-Depth. You can listen and subscribe to the podcast on the Radio.com app or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Carol McKenzie, and we'll have another episode out soon.